Welcome back to Out of the Main. Uh, John, you're back on, on the roads again? It is not my first rodeo, no. <laughs> we are talking today, of course, about the many traveled roads. Yes. Uh, not the roads less traveled. Correct. That's- and this, uh, yeah, the roads is the possibly the essential piece to Yacht Rock in terms of what differentiates. Yacht Rock has so many different things that make it Yacht Rock, but then what differentiates it from others? It's like the use of the roads has to be more prominent in Yacht Rock than any other sliced up genre, I think. Yeah, I do too. And I was thinking the other day, like if I hear, because I was listening to Modern Yacht, actually just today, and you know, whenever I hear the roads come in, that gets me 60% of the way to mm-hmm. me thinking I'm listening to Yacht Rock. Mm-hmm. It's just, and it's really, like to your point, there's not a, another genre that relies so heavily on the roads, even though Yacht Rock is a made up genre, but people get the point, right? Yes, and the the roads is it's an interesting animal because it in and of itself evolved a lot during its sort of major I guess lifespan, but it also has a couple other keyboards that are I guess intrinsically related to them historically because sort of the predecessor to it though they were somewhat contemporaries, was the Wurlitzer electric piano, which has its own distinct sound, which we can talk through these. The Rhodes is its thing, and then later on, the Rhodes essentially got replaced in popular music by the Yamaha DX7. But those three things all live together in the large umbrella of what we call electric pianos. There's other slight you know, players in that, but those are the big three. Yeah. Remember, I posited to you a while ago, maybe that was the seed for this episode, was what I said, was the Rhodes at the time so unique and so, like, welcome into pop music because this is the first time we had, like, a new sound palette, but it was still an acoustic playing instrument. You still had hammers hitting something, right? Yes, and we can go back to the um, that soft rock documentary, the Sometimes When We Touch, where Richard Marks made the perfect sort of evaluation of what is a Rhodes and he says it's kind of 50% piano and 50% vibraphone Mm, so you get that hammer hitting something part of the piano but you also get this sort of warbly vibrato-y thing that maybe you associate with the vibes and it's a little warmer but the, the uh, there's a distinction in the way that these different instruments made their sounds and the Wurlitzer had these things that they were called reeds that were being hit. They aren't reeds like the same as maybe what you'd think of on a saxophone or a clarinet or oboe, but they were these thin metal sort of reed type things that hammers were hitting. When the roads came along, it developed those into what are called tines, T-I-N-E-S. And tines are a lot more similar to maybe the metal bars you see on a glockenspiel, or maybe they're closer to like a a tuning fork, you know, the tuning fork that you hit. Um, And they have a one big end and one little end. And the little end's more like a spring. And that's the thing that you can vary in order to tune these things. So Mm. it had a tunability character, but the tine that you're hitting was more substantive. It was heavier. It had more mass to it than the reed on the Wurlitzer. So by having more mass, you got a rounder tone, but you also got more range in terms of how hard you could hit it before you sort of maxed out its volume. So that means that the roads had greater dynamic range and depth and also sonic range because the harder you hit anything, you get more of a smack or what we call on the roads the growl. Yes. So... It in and of itself has a larger 
range of what you can do with it. And I think that maybe lent itself to more piano player type people gravitating towards it as opposed to just synth players or, or rock guys that just want to bang out, you know, they weren't interested in the nuance. They just wanted, you know, an electric piano. Mm-hmm. So do you know offhand how, how, to what degree did the Wurlitzer predate the Rose? The Fender Rose? Rhodes, the Rhodes uh, came out way earlier than I thought, it actually was um, in the 50s they started putting these things out. There were a lot of versions of the roads that came out. We're familiar with kind of two basic versions. Maybe you could say three. There's the um, the what they call the stage model, which is where you see it standing on four legs. And, you know, these four flimsy looking legs holding mm-hmm. this thing up. And that's what the Wurlitzer also looked like. There was a Mark One version, a Mark II version. There was this then suitcase version developed. And the suitcase version had this big, huge speaker rig that was attached to it. So the road sat on top of this speaker rig and it had a, that had a, a greater preamp on it. It had that uh, stereo out, which allowed you to have this tremolo that goes left to right in your ears and also allowed it to have weighted keys like a piano mm-hmm. so the original like Wurlitzer or early Rhodes stage models they felt like synthesizers when you played them the keys were very light mm. i actually had the opportunity to play on a couple of those just recently at a studio here in detroit and i had never played on a stage model or an actual Wurlitzer. i was taken aback at how flimsy they felt yeah almost and like these a, were in good shape like a casio keyboard almost yeah yeah because the only one i had been really familiar with was the suitcase model that we had in our basement for a period of time when i was a teenager and i got to play on that i tell you i could not believe how heavy <laughs> those keys were to push down and how slow they seemed to come up it's like you know like what cw mccall says sort of like stepping on a plum you know <laughs> there's no bounce back there's a reference for listener mike yeah uh, but they're so they're completely different instruments even though they fall under even the Rhodes label you know again i think somebody who has a uh, a piano's touch somebody's used to the weighted keys of a piano would gravitate towards this um suitcase model over the stage model yeah and there's even different styles because of that what you're describing i notice and i have some notes which we'll get into just the different ways that you can play a Rhodes, different styles because of the not only the weighted keys and the dynamicism between the how hard you hit it and the sounds you get out of it which we'll get into but that must have been um an attraction to this particularly this not the stage model what's the other one suitcase suitcase model over say the Wurlitzer that maybe you know because i think of the Wurlitzer is like Early 70s sound. That's what I think of. I mean, even I earlier than that, exclusive. it goes back even into the 60s. 60s so, yeah. you're going to your, back to your original question, chronology. They yep. are, I think that in popular music, we associate the Wurlitzer more with the 60s sound than the, the Rhodes, maybe more like late 70s, though they do overlap quite a bit. And probably their chronolo- chronology is somewhat similar, but the popularity of the Rhodes was more 70s and the popularity yes. of the Wurlitzer was more 60s, though not exclusive. And before we play like some examples of what they all sounded like, let's bring in the sort of the day the yacht <laughs> sank. The sort of bookend to this would be probably the Yamaha DX7, which we talk about all the time. So yes, the DX7, it's probably most well-known sound was this electric piano thing. And we'll show examples of what that sounded like as well. And you will know that you've heard this thing a zillion times. <laughs> but 
that became the next new sound. So at the time that it was new, it was like, oh, that's cool because it was new. But it also, carrying a DX7 around, which was a relatively heavy synthesizer, but by comparison to carrying a Rhodes around, it was much less to carry, especially if you were somebody who was using one of the suitcase models. Yeah. I mean, that speaker thing, I think, had two 15s and a couple of horns in it. It was just a monster. Fun fact, that was the first... Uh, keyboard that our keyboardist played when we were a cover band. So I remember hauling that thing oh, around. Oh, man. Case. It was yeah. not good. But the within the life of the roads, I was under the understanding that there was the Mach 1 that sounded very basic and simple, or Mark 1, and then the Mark 2, which was much lusher and bigger sounding. And really, that's not exactly true. The Even though there was a Mark 1 and a Mark 2, even within the life of each of those, there were various upgrades and things that happened along the way. Mm-hmm. They got added, and then people would also tweak them themselves. So it's not so simple as to say a Mark II sounds like this and a Mark I sounds like that. Mm-hmm. And even if you had 10 Mark I's in this room, each one of those would sound different because it is inside an acoustic instrument. You have hammers hitting these tines. So, how worn out are the tines? How worn out are the hammers? What are the hammers made of? There are times they were made of felt, times they were made of wood. They got upgraded to uh, a neoprene, a rubber. People used to, like, um, if you're familiar with what a tack piano is, a tack piano was where they actually put thumbtacks in the uh, felt of the hammers of a piano to make it really percussive. Well, people would do stuff like that to their roads because mm-hmm. you can get inside and you could see the hammers and you could play with them and the electronics would age. The this, this, the action of the keys would change over time. So no one road sounds like another and no one road sounds like it sounded this year. It's going to sound different next year, mm-hmm. right? But there was a mod that was done in the later era of the... Mark II of the Rhodes, and they actually went in and they changed what the sort of frame was made out of, again, in an attempt to make it lighter. They upgraded the um, the preamp. Then they, they actually changed, they put a lever inside there that would move the proximity of the tines to the pickups. Hmm. So we'd get those the chimes closer to the mic, which made it real bright and really attacky. And that was the sound that was emulated by the DX7. So the ah. DX7 was specifically an attempt to model, at least that patch was an attempt apparently to model this latest adaptation of a Rhodes. Okay, so clarifying question on that. Yeah. Um, so when we had, we had uh, we can't get into it, all of it, we had Jay Graydon on mm-hmm. for a three-parter. We talked, I'm going to ask you about the E-Rhodes, but before I do that, he talked about his new patch, his emulator software, has uh, settings with bells on and bells off. Right. So what was he referring to that he's trying to emulate back in the day? Is that the proximity of the pickups to these tines? I wish I knew exactly, because in his programming, it starts at B above middle C, either B or B flat above middle C. So when you turn on the bells, it doesn't do it for every key. It only does it for those B and up. Hmm. So, I don't know if that was a creative decision on their part or or what. Um, that might be that the, the E-Roads uh, had a lever in there that allowed them to move the pickups, like I was just saying, but it only was the pickups in that register. Yeah. Or maybe they put something on the tines, or the, not the tines, the hammers to make them harder, only in the upper. 
I don't know. Because there's certain times you hear the E-Roads, this is me, this is completely layperson's vernacular. Yeah. Where it sounds more, quote unquote, belly. In other words, it's like chimey. Ding yeah. dong, we'll get into the sounds. Yeah. And that's, I think, what the DX7 took that to the next level, where it's like so dingy, dingy, dingy. Um, and obviously, it's more manufactured and synthetic sounding. But that's why I was wondering... Is it more of a bell timber to this Mark II that got emulated? Uh, that's what my understanding always was. Okay. Yeah. And then real quick, on the E roads, I mean, we probably don't need to get into the chapter and verse of the E. Do you have notes on the E, though? Because that's an interesting story, how that thing became really lore in Yacht Rock. Yeah, the simple part of it is, is that it was one that was discovered sitting there in a box collecting dust at some used um, music store. Leeds? Yeah. Yeah. And um, Leeds Rentals. And upon... Finally, dusting it off, getting out of the box, they played it, and they couldn't believe that this one sounded unlike any other. Yeah, I don't know if they always knew why. They may have gone in and figured out why, but the point was that this sounded amazing. It had a certain presence in the upper mids that just made it sit just right in the mix, because sometimes the roads can get muddy in a mix. And this one had a way of just sitting right, and it became the most sought-after roads in the West Coast um, AOR circuit and you know Graydon had it mm-hmm. for a period of time and he he could never get on it because it, people were booking the studio just so they could get the roads yeah so he yeah he tells the story that he would book the roads before he even booked the cats yes um, but apparently it was him so I'm, I'm, there's again I'll link to all the stuff so you can go read it because it's fascinating it was Jay Graydon that discovered it went into the I think with the store owner in the back room he's like what's that one the box with the E on it yeah. He's like, let's get that one. I was like, I don't know what that is. And apparently a guy named Eddie Reynolds had done a mod to it. I think E stands for Eddie probably. Yeah, maybe. And he had I don't uh, know. added a custom preamp that um at you know gave the E the tone and added a custom um sorry, it added a stereo XLR direct out, if you know what those are, and a switch for disabling the built in speakers. So Eddie had gone in and modified whatever he did, he put an E on it probably, say, Hey, this is an Eddie version. Either that or I know it was a rental place and they would have roads A, roads B, roads C. Be, yeah. So but yeah, I think there was some the I believe the biggest mod was in the preamp. Yeah. So it gave it a different EQ curve. And uh, Graydon heard it, and he, he called up uh, Foss. Hey, Foss, man, you got to hear this, Rhodes. <laughs> and Foss heard it, fell in yeah. love, and the rest is history. Yeah. So, and now we've got Yacht Rock. Um, all right, so which brings us then to, I think, the DX7. So you said they were trying to emulate that sound. Then the whole sound change, and we talked about even as recently as with um, Steve Picaro, there became this like Rhodes fatigue where everyone's like, I'm sick of the sound. I remember going through it myself. Like, I'm just so sick of the sound. And then this DX7 sounds new. I eventually get really yeah. sick of that. Right. <laughs> well, the thing is that once you've played on one of those DX7s, it was used so much because it was a lot easier than dealing with the roads, yeah. right? But you also realize as a player, going back to what we talked about before, it does not have the dynamic range. Mm. It, it really, you start hitting it too hard, it, it almost sounds like it's distorting. It doesn't become more attractive with that bark. True. It just becomes piercing. And really, there wasn't a lot of range of programming. There were some people that varied it a little bit but really you know if you pulled up 
electric piano one on a DX7, you could pull on 10 DX7s here and they'd all sound exactly the same. Of course. As opposed to difference in the road. So you don't yeah. get the same sonic variance that's that keeps things point. interesting. I never thought of that because, yeah, that's you hear so much of it. It's like, I've heard this a billion times and we're going to hear a bunch of different roads that all sound different. So, well, why don't we go into then, you put together a little thing to sh- kind of show us how the different organs sound. You want to hit that part? Yeah, it's just uh, sort of going through... I- Put together the same performance and ran it through all of these different ones. Now, these are virtual versions. These are uh, software versions. But yeah, let's just let it speak for itself. So I've put together this little demonstration to sort of compare the basic sounds of the main keyboards that we're talking about. The Wurlitzer, the Rhodes, which we have the MK1, the MK2, and then the famous E-Rhodes, J-Graden E-Rhodes. And then we have the DX7 in its most famous sound, which is its digital EP, which was meant to be somewhat of a brighter take on the overall Rhodes sound. Now, each one of these is a virtual software version, but I went with what I think is a pretty typical sound of that instrument. Each one of these has range. They can be put with the different effects and all of that. But there's a... uh, a core central sound that they're most known for, and that's what I went with. So we'll start with the Wurlitzer, which would be the oldest one of these uh, models, and it goes back to the Beatles and uh, early stuff like that. Some of the earlier electric piano stuff you heard would have been this. So that has sort of a hollow sound to it to me. It's not extremely dynamic. Uh, We do have cases where people have added things to it, flanger effects, chorus effects, amplifiers, a little distortion. But now let's move on. This is the MK1, which is the first generation of the Fender Rhodes. In that, you can hear that there's a bit more of a hammering sound because the tines being hit by hammers, uh, similar to a piano, is different than that of the roads, which they're sort of more reed type of things that are being hit. So you can hear a little more impact, and that gave this instrument greater dynamic range, whereas we have talked about the uh, harder you hit it, you can get it to really start to bark as you're hitting that mallet against the bar even harder. Uh, one of the... F- Later add-ons to the road sound was this stereo tremolo, and this was sort of, I guess, part of the main add to the MK2, which allowed for a stereo preamp, and then you have this tremolo that goes from left to right in your ear. So here's an example of that same road sound with that tremolo added. And at least in Yacht Rock, the most famous roads of all, as we have discussed many times, is the famous E-Roads, this very special roads that they discovered. Each one of these had their own unique sound, and this one had a sound that uh, David Foster and Jay Graydon just died for. And this is a sound from the actual software that Jay Graydon has released. This is a sampled version of his famous E-Roads, and this is one that is... Pretty affected up. 
typical of the way they used it in Yacht Rock. So there's some phaser effect on this, some chorus effect, as well as that left-right tremolo kind of going on. And then speaking of Jay Graydon, we're going to go to the DX7 Rhodes and his technique, because he said he always had two DX7s, was that he would, uh, well, keep in mind that the DX7 was had a mono output. It was not stereo. So in order to get that stereo chorused sound, Jay would take his two DX7s and he would tune one up four cents and then one down four cents. Now there's 100 cents in each half step. So we're talking four one hundredths of a half step. So just a little bit sharp, a little bit flat. You pan those hard left and hard right, and you get this wonderful stereo image that sounds like this. And there you have it, the uh, basic generations of the electric piano from probably the late 60s to the late 80s, maybe early 90s. Pretty much speaks for itself. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, Becker. <laughs> anyone know that reference yeah. besides you? Uh, but uh, apropos. So, yes. Yeah. So that when you hear it all together, you're like, all right, that's... Uh, you can hear the demarcation. As you know, I've been confused and thinking a Wurlitzer was a Rhodes before. That's true. But, uh, but you know, knowledge is power. Now, so, so you'll well, you'll never make that mistake. Well, again. we'll see. I don't know about that. Uh, last question on the DX7. Weighted keys or more synth keys? Do you remember? Yeah, they were heavier than synth keys, but not, not true weighted keys. I think they called them... It wasn't even semi-weighted, but... Mm-hmm. The DX7 did have a desirable keyboard playing surface. It felt better than most synthesizers, but it if you had one long enough, it got sluggish over time, too. Yes. Well, let's get into the application of the roads. Right. Here's some stuff, uh, some songs. Uh, here's my segue. This is a quote by Herbie Hancock, which is on a page of the Fender website, all devoted to the history of the roads. It's kind of like an interactive multimedia page, which I'll also link to because that's really cool. But in there, you get this quote from Herbie Hancock. He says, the roads can hide in between the character of the acoustic instruments, or it can be on top. And I think we're going to hear examples of that. Mm, okay. Yeah. So, can I just throw out a couple um, sure. for you to react to? Yep. So this is, again, this is the layperson uh, doing his best to describe what I'm hearing. One of the distinct sounds which we talked about is the growl, yeah. right? Is the bark. And there's two distinctive songs that jump out at me. One is Hey 19. <laughs> Especially at the end, yeah. Yep. Right. Well, even that first note, too. But And then the other one is, if you're wondering what I mean by the bark, listen to the intro to Rich Girl. You're a rich girl, and you're gone too far, cause you know it don't matter anyway. You can rely on the old man's money, you can rely on the old man's money, it's a bitch girl, but it's gone too I think that was a stage, you know um, anyway. Rhodes, yeah. So you, you can just hear how hard they're smacking that thing to get that growl sound. Yes. Okay, then I have um, then another approach um, 
that Victor Feldman exemplifies. Victor Feldman was also a percussionist. Yes. So maybe he approached it a little bit differently. And Vibes was his primary, and vibes, his main instrument. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which goes back to, like, approach, right? So yeah. I think of the solo, long solo bit, if you could call it a solo, at Black Cow. There he's just kind of like, it's way more melodic. It's not barking. He's just kind of mm-hmm. playing it like you mm-hmm. might vibes. Um, so then there's another kind of in-between bark and in- or growl, whatever you want to call it, in this melodic. And I think of Michael McDonald's Heart to Heart. That's a good pick. Yeah. Another quick one is um, I love the long solo in by Bob James, another approach in the theme of taxi. Angela. And then last two little stylistic things. I, I note that the Roads can also be used to kind of hold down sort of the rhythm bed, almost like an acoustic, a strum guitar would. And I'm thinking of uh, Jim Messina seeing you for the first time. Last but not least, and I have some examples. You said you had two more in your No, number. two more styles. So that holding oh, down okay. the rhythm, where it's just kind of meant to just hold down the rhythm. It's not like shining. It's not sticking out. Counter to that is where it's act. It's using accent counter melodies in the way you might hear Robbie Dupree's "Steal Away." And last but not least, how could we omit Michael O'Mardian? We're in this love together, Al Jarreau. We're in this love together. And like berries on the vine, it gets sweeter all the time. So there's a lot of different, my point is there's a lot of different ways and that mm-hmm. the instrument can sound to the ear, the instrument can be played. Going back to what you said about the DX7, it's not really true of the DX7. It's not true of a lot of not instruments. Not really. Really? Yeah. You know, combination of application being different, approach, and sound. Well, my list is quite different than that because I went through and said, well, what would be, if I were to take a lay person and say, well, they say, well, what does a road sound like? And I want to give them an example of an iconic sounding roads. Um, to me, the first place my mind went was not very yachty, but it went to the intro to Babe from Styx. And that one's that that's got the one thing about the roads is that by itself it can sound very dry and blah. Yeah. True about the Wurlitzer as well. Both lend themselves to having a lot of nice effect on them. You it's one of those instruments you almost can't put too much on. So Babe is a good example of that. I was gonna say that is a very affected sound because it's not just the raw. Right. You know, so good good pick. Uh I would say there's two real 
definable ways you could recognize the Wurlitzer and right out of the gate on Supertramp's Logical Song. When I was young, it seemed that life was so wonderful. Yes. That's Yachty, by the yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, going back further, as we pointed out, the Beatles, I Am the Walrus. That was Rhodes? Uh, no, that's Whirly. Those that's are Whirly examples. Okay. Yes. Uh, let's go to the DX7. Here's, I mean, it is such the definitive sound of Foster ballads, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, hard habit to break. Of course. And then if you want to hear it being hit too hard to the point where it starts to break up and sound gnarly, this intro to Stay the Night. Do you think it could that have been paired with something? Or no, that was they did used to pair it a lot, like with a uh, acoustic piano. Maybe not a real piano, like a like a patch. Yeah, a piano patch. patch. Yeah, and there's an example I have here of that with uh, another Jay Graydon production, and this is DeBarge. Who's holding Donna now? Oh yeah. So those are definitely iconic, recognizable differences between those keys there. I had a note, too, just real quick. We won't have to play it, but go listen to Al Jarreau's Yachty era, and you will have, um, even on the same album, Foster playing the Rhodes, Michael O'Mardian playing the Rhodes, um, and uh, who was the other one? We might actually get to that. Oh, really? In the lightning round. Well, shall we? Bozy our way over. Are we done? No, play us a little Rhodes segue into the lightning round. Oh, so is your lightning round completely Rhodesy? Oh, Are you yes, it actually is. Are you on the roads is. again? Yes. yes, I am on the roads again. Yes. Now, is that Yacht Rock on the oh, roads yeah. again? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, well, why don't you start us with a, what, what have you found at sea? And does it relate to the roads, the Whirly, or the DX7? Oh, I stuck all line. I stayed within the roads for this. Uh, okay. Yep. Baby. Um, yeah, I am going to... Uh, what I found at sea was something I was out... Uh, I found myself on the Lido deck of Yacht Rock and Radio mm. with, uh, you know... Captain Hugh in the Contessa. Right. A song he introduced me to. It's got Rhodes in it. It's got Richard T on the electric piano. Ooh, I'm assuming yeah. it's Rhodes. Do you know who Richard T is? Yeah. Like, how has that name not come up before that I know of? He played Rhodes on Just the Two of Us. Yeah, it seems like he stay. I mean, he does show up in some yacht stuff, but he's not the main. He's a little more on the R&B soul yes. area. But put a pin in yeah. that. Okay. But he seems to gravitate to the electric piano when oh, he's yeah. playing yeah, sessions. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, a yachty tune from George Harrison? What? 1976? Ooh. Do you know of Pure Smokey? So, 
I mentioned Richard T. on electric piano, mm-hmm. Tom Scott on sax, and did the horns arrangement, Willie Weeks on bass. Yes. Ellen Taylor on drums. So that was surprisingly Yachty from George Harrison. Yeah, Is it that is. certified? I have no idea. Uh, for some reason, it. I thought there was a certified Harrison tune, so uh, somebody can go look that up and let us know. I'm going to do it as you tell us what was found at sea. All right, we'll come back to that. Found at sea. I'm going to give you the link to this, and um, this goes back to what you were just talking about prior to that lightning bolt. And our good friend Stefan Olofsson of State Cows. Yes, sir. He put together a couple of videos where he was demonstrating the power and the sound of Jay Graydon's E-Roads. And this is a wonderful little medley he put together. I'm going to play as much of it as I can, but you put the link down in the uh, show notes. This is uh, his Al medley. That was cool. Yeah. Now you're seeing it happen, too. you got to go watch the video Yeah, see it actually happen. Uh, Quick update on George Harrison's Pure Smokey. Yacht Rock scores are 50, 50, 50, 48. So it is not certified by the hair of George Harrison's chinny chin chin. You heard it here first. Well, no, you probably didn't. (laughs) All right, Buried Treasure. We're going to stick with Stefan for a minute, all right? All right, I'm down. Um, Because there's another video of him. This was a Facebook video. But uh, we're going to play a little bit of this, and he's still demonstrating the E. And here he is doing Babylon Sisters. And man, that sounds spot on. And I happen to know that there is a patch in there specifically called Babylon. And it, is that sounds, it sounds just like it, man. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you remember for, I'm going to do my buried treasure, if you don't mind. I don't mind. Okay, that's good. Why would uh, I? I don't know. Well, you might mind after I do it. Eesh. Maybe not. Do you remember when we did our uh, the Spotify guessing game way back when? I'm <laughs> yeah. going to reprise I want to do, okay. All right, good. Reprise that <laughs> right. for you. All right. If I were to ask you George Benson's most spun song, what would you guess? I might even give you two guesses. Wow, I feel like I've got it. <laughs> you know it's not the one you're thinking of. Well, you don't know which one I'm thinking of, but um, I'm trying to figure out, is this a trick question or are you tricking me into thinking it's a trick question? Uh, um, I think the one that would come to mind first, believe it or not, is this Masquerade. No, uh, no. not even in the top five. What okay. would be your other one, the obvious well, one? Well, obviously one would, would have been Breezin, right? <laughs> I was wrong there, too. Okay. Breezin's got 42 million spins, which sounds like a lot. Until you get to give me the night, I thought that's when you were going to go for, okay. which has got about 150 million spins if you combine them. Okay, but separately, because there's two different, there's the album version and then there's yeah. the compilation version. But number one is a song called "Nothing's Gonna Change My Love for You." Nothing's gonna change my love for you. You wanna know by now how much. That's his number one? Yes! Oh my gosh. So, two never, reasons. That's I never would have gotten to that. Buried treasure. Well, three reasons. Yeah. One is I had forgotten. I forgot that song. Why is that not on like all the Yacht Rock playlists and serious stations and all that stuff? Hmm. Um, 
Number two, it's a buried treasure because <laughs> you got to go check out the personnel on, on that album. It's from the 2020 album. Yeah. I mean, it's I just it. way yeah. too many to list. I know. But Richard T is on there playing oh, yeah. Electric Piano. There you go. Uh, but on that track in particular, Dan Hoff's on guitar, Nathan East is on bass, Robbie Buchanan's doing the keyboards, Synthesizer, uh, and then Richard Mark on backup vocals. So listen to all those buried dang. treasures. Wow. Yes. Very good. Hmm. I had to add that to my playlist. I don't know if it's yachty. I think enough, I've got but... it in my list. It's in one of my lists. All right. So then that uh... off the map to you. Okay. So um, off the map. Remember we had uh, Derek Holt from the Climax Blues Band. Yep. Oh yeah, there's a good vote. Starts right. <laughs> I love you. Nice. But that's too on the map to be off the map. I just yeah. discovered a 2011 cover of "I Love You" by Tesla. <laughs> which features no roads, which puts it off the map, but here's Tesla doing I Love You. You came along from far away and found me here. I was playing around, feeling down, hitting the beer. You picked me up from off the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that shows you though that that's a brilliant tune because it can be done in those two different styles and uh, yeah, it's a beautiful wow. love song. Wow. So, well, <laughs> I thought my off the map was going to be too far off the map. I almost uh, required a trip through the Bermuda Triangle, but I think you've actually outdone me. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, one of the other places that we have heard a lot of use of roads, at least for a period of time, was that fusion area. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, and, you know, prog rock. So, after Rick Wakeman left Yes, they brought in a very proggy, almost fusion-y guy, Patrick Mraz, to play keys. And here is some crazy, crazy roads. and some crazy bass that you might like. I'm going to hit you with the intro from the um, Relayer album. This is Sound Chaser. So, yeah, makes sense that I, mean, I want you to chart that out for me and have it <laughs> ready by next week. Uh, chart, does that get a ding? Ah. Yes. All right. Well, I know what does get a ding. I have no idea. It starts with a hoy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Pull away. 